On this episode, getting back on track, thinking of others, and paying attention to the company we keep. Hello everyone, and welcome to Live Through Jesus with Courtney Gilmore. I'll be reading all the scripture references for you, so you're free to just sit back, listen, and absorb, or you can grab your Bible and read along. Most of the time, I'll be reading from the New King James Version, but if I switch, I'll let you know. At the beginning of each episode, I'll introduce the titles, so if you want the entire study in writing, you can go to livethroughjesus.com and buy it for under $5. Each one will cover two to three months' worth of episodes, and once you buy, then it'll be immediately available for download. In addition to a little extra studying, it also allows you the benefit of some charts and keyword definitions, but it isn't necessary. Okay, so let's get started. This is episode 12, and today we'll be talking about Abram and his nephew Lot. Last episode, God called Abram out of his native land and into a land that God would show him. And Abram stepped out in blind faith and started the journey that God had called him to. But because there was a famine in the land, he went down to Egypt and he let his fear get the best of him and ended up lying to the king and he and Sarah found themselves in a bad situation. Thankfully, the Lord rescued them out of that. And so we pick up this week with him just leaving Egypt in Genesis chapter 13. So let's go ahead and read in verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been in the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So Abram had gotten a little off track. He's no longer welcome in Egypt, so he has to find a new direction. So what does he do? He immediately goes back to the last place where he remembers talking to God. And it says he goes there and calls on his name. He goes back to the place where he last was with God, where he had made an altar to him. Whenever we take a wrong turn, whenever we begin to go in a direction that God doesn't want us to go in, and we start to realize that, hey, I've gotten off track, I'm not doing what I should be doing, I'm not going in the direction that I should be going, then that is when we go back to that place where we took the wrong turn. Go back to that place where we remember being with God. When was I last in a good relationship with God? When was I following His way? Where did I make a wrong turn? When did I last talk to him and feel like he was speaking to me? When and where was the last place that I was worshiping him? And then go back to that time or place. Call on his name. This may mean reading your Bible again. It may mean going to church, hanging out with a different group of friends, praying. It may just be that you need to reorganize your priorities and go back to a time that was simpler when you were really putting Him first. Just think back to a time when you were in love with God, when you were walking in His ways. What was different then than it is now? Ask God to show you. Go to Him and say, what am I doing wrong? Where did I take a wrong direction? And then just go back to that place and take everything that led you to that place 
and then everything that you learned on the wrong journey and just start again. That's what Abram's doing. He says, I got off track. I'm going to go back to God. I'm going to reevaluate this situation, ask him where he wants me to go, and I'm going to start back with him. And it seems that that really pays off because listen to this next passage. He's definitely much less selfish and takes care of his family. Beginning in verse 5, Lot also, who went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they couldn't dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right, then I will go to the left. Okay, so let's stop right there. Abram begins to sense a problem. There's already people living in this land and Now they've tried to move to it, and it's just too many people in too small of an area. Everyone is starting to bicker. And instead of waiting for Abram and Lot to also be at odds with each other, Abram decides to come up with a peaceful solution. Sometimes it's in the best interest of everyone involved just to get a little bit of space. And Abram wanted them to part ways in peace instead of anger. It's always best to be proactive instead of reactive, and that's what he's doing here. But not only did he decide that they needed to separate, but he gave Lot the choice as to where to go. Earlier, he had sort of used his authority with Sarah to manipulate the situation, and he could have easily done that here with Lot. He could have said, this is where I'm going to live. You go live over there. But he truly is trying to get along and have a peaceful situation. And so instead of making that decision and telling Lot what he needs to do, he decides to give him the choice. Listen to this verse in Romans 12, 18. It says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And that's what Abram's doing here. He's doing what he can to be at peace with others. Now listen also to this verse in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. And again, this is what Abram's doing. He's not being selfish this time. He is looking out for the goodness of Lot and his interest and not the interest of himself. So think just for a minute, how good are you at giving preference to others and looking out for their interest and not the interest of yourself? That's a hard thing, isn't it? It's easy to want to fight for our rights and want what we want, but that's not what God asks us to do. And if you think about it, if everyone did this, then there wouldn't be any issues, right? We wouldn't even have to be selfish. If other people were looking out for our interests, then we wouldn't have to look out for our own, right? For example, if I am not thinking about myself, but I'm thinking about my husband and what he wants and what he needs and what is important to him and meeting his needs and he, in turn, is doing exactly the same thing for me, then both of our needs are being met. But we're not getting them on our own. We're getting them from each other. 
It's so much more fulfilling to have our needs met by another person. And it's really difficult to fully meet our own needs. God just didn't create us like that. That's the reason as soon as he created Adam, he created Eve because he saw that this doesn't work well whenever a person is alone. He literally says, it is not good for man to be alone. I should make a helper for him. He knows that we need companionship. And so if every single person does this, then we have no issues, right? If everyone followed this example of looking out for the interest of the other person, then everyone's needs would be met. The problem comes whenever my husband is looking out for my needs and I'm looking out for my needs, then his needs are not being met. And we could say, well, you know what? You're not meeting my needs. I'm not going to meet your needs because nobody's meeting my needs, right? If I'm not meeting his needs, he could say, I'm going to stop meeting your needs and I'm going to start meeting my own because I'm not getting my needs met. But then what happens? Then it's just a vicious cycle, right? Because then I don't do for him and he doesn't do for me. And then nobody even knows where this started, but we're all just working for ourselves, right? Which again is not how God intended it. So it's not going to work well. So God asks us all to think about the other person and look out for their needs. And if they are not meeting our needs, then we look to God. That's when we look to him and say, I'm not getting what I need. I need you to give that to me and allow God to work on the hearts of others. We always need to do what we are supposed to do and let God take care of the rest. So pay attention as you interact with others this week and make a special point to yield to their desires above yours and seek peace. Do that for a little while and see if you don't feel more fulfilled, that you yourself don't feel like the relationship isn't going better. So let's move on and see what Lot chooses. Verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plains of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plains of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Okay. So it seems like Abram has made a pretty good decision this time, and unfortunately, we can't say the same thing for Lot. First of all, he just wasn't very thoughtful, right? Soon as his uncle told him he could choose wherever he wanted to live, he was like, that place, that's the best, I want it. He definitely gave no preference for anyone else, right? He wasn't thinking about anyone but himself. He took the very best spot all for himself. But also, there's another problem with this. What compelled him to want this place? What was he looking at? How was he making this decision? It was all completely based upon outward appearances, right? The land looked good. It looked fertile. It looked beautiful. It looked like a good place to live, right? But what did he overlook? Look in verse 13. It says, The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. He wasn't paying attention to that fact, right? It never even registered to him that maybe just because the land looks beautiful doesn't mean it's a great place to live because there's more things to consider. Appearances can be deceiving, right? We have to be careful not to make our decisions based solely on things that make sense to us. 
The people that surround us really influence our lives. Take, for instance, if you are buying a house or looking for a job. If we just look at this house and say, this is a beautiful house, and we don't consider the neighborhood that we're moving into, the school district that we may be moving into, the atmosphere around us, then we could be in for some trouble. What about our job? If we just look at our income, if we just look at our prestige, if we just look at how important we're going to look if we get this job, does that really matter if the whole corporation is corrupt? If we're constantly being influenced by people that aren't doing the right thing? Listen to this verse in 1 Corinthians 15.33. It says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that these things don't matter. It matters who you're around. Bad company can corrupt good character. It's important the company we keep. It is important the people that we are surrounded by because they can corrupt our character. 2 Peter 2.8 tells us that dwelling among these people tormented Lot's righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Is that really the situation that we want to put ourselves in? Our souls have to be tormented because of the things that we see and hear daily. That's not a situation we want to put ourselves in. So again, when we make decisions, we need to look to God and ask Him. Because Lot may not be aware of what the people are like in this land. And so all he can do is make an assessment off of the things that he sees. But God can reveal those things to us. He can steer us in the right direction if we'll just ask and listen to His answers. Mark 8.36 says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Nothing is worth corrupting our souls. We have to be very careful. Now, does God never want us to be around anyone that's not a Christian or anyone that may be doing something wrong? How are we supposed to be witnesses if we only surround ourselves with other Christians, right? Listen to Matthew 5.14-16. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill and can't be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So God does want us to be a light to others, right? He wants us to shine for Him so that others will see how we act and that will draw them to Him, right? But here's the thing. A lot of times we use this as an excuse to hang around people that we are not influencing. They're influencing us. And so we just have to be careful. If we are strong enough to continue to walk with the Lord when we're around that person and we are influencing them, then yes, God wants us to do that. But if we are not strong enough and they are corrupting our souls, then we need to move. That's not what God wants for us. And sometimes we use that as an excuse. Now, best case scenario, you are mostly surrounded by people that are building you up, growing you in the Lord. And then that way, if you are around a few people that are not doing that, then you can be an influence to them because you have that strength that you're drawing from others and you're able to do that. But if we completely surround ourselves with people that are not following God, it is going to torment our souls. And either we are going to be miserable and constant battle, or we're going to end up falling in line and doing whatever they're doing. So we just need to be aware of that. 
So let's see what happened with Abraham and Lot after they separated. Verse 14, And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now, and look from the place where you are, north, south, east, and west. For all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through the length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. So now God tells Abram a little bit more of the story, right? A little bit more details to his promise. He says, this place that you are, everything you can see, this is what I'm giving to your family. And not only am I going to make you into a great nation, but your descendants are going to be so many that they can't even be numbered. No one will even be able to count them. He had already told him he was going to make him into a great nation, but Abram had no idea what that entailed. And now God is telling him, it's going to be a lot of people. And in Numbers 23.10, just before the people go into the promised land, it says, who can count the dust of Jacob or number even a fourth of Israel? So at that time, even before they entered this land that God had promised to Abram, they already couldn't even be counted. They were already like the dust. So this promise does come true. Also, if we look further in the Bible, we realize that this land that he is telling Abram to look on and that it will belong to his family, we find out exactly who it does end up going to. Abram's grandson, Jacob, buys a plot of land there in Hebron, and Joseph is eventually buried on that land. And then his son, Ephraim, later inherits the land of Hebron. And then this place, Bethel, that is the inheritance of Caleb, who is a descendant of Judah, which is Abram's great-grandson. So it's pretty neat to hear later how God keeps this promise that he is stating to Abram right here. So we're going to go ahead and end here today because the rest of this chapter, we get into some deeper stuff and end up looking in the New Testament where it references this. And so if I kept going, this episode would be really long instead of really short. And so we're going to go ahead and stop right here. And next week, we'll talk about what happens after Abram and Lot separate. So make sure that you subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Just keep in mind this week that if you ever get off track, you can always come back to him. And if you happen to be in that place, go back and find where you got off track and start from there. And then just keep in mind giving preference to others, paying attention to what other people need and want and not what you want. And then also maybe take a look at your surroundings. See if you're surrounded more by Christians and people that are following the Lord than people that aren't. It may be that you need to make a few changes. So those are the things that we need to take away from this lesson. Feel free to email me. My email address is Courtney at LiveThroughJesus.com. L-I-V-E-T-H-R-U-J-E-S-U-S. Thanks and have a good day. (music) 